Do you think that uh, the the royal family live in like primitive times? Like, what do you what do you think what their you life mean? is like? Like Pretty there's a fucking cruisy. Like there's a king now, like a king, king. It's the king, king. There's not the prince. Prince. It was Prince William, right? What? It's Charles. Charles. Who's William? That his son. He's oh, the, the next king. Oh, he's the next king. Like I'm the king. You and the king is in the house. <laughs> Can you imagine? Imagine Charlie walking upstairs. The king is home. <laughs> So funny. Uh, like, what do you reckon their life is like, man? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I mean, it's probably stressful in their own way, right? Like, there'd be so many demands on their time. Got to go to this engagement, fly over here, the bloody Australians are kicking up. Can't, can't <laughs> settle them out. It's funny you say, like, everyone's got their own stresses. Like, I was telling you the other week, um, Julius was upset because... You know, his friend threw his moon ball over the fence. Oh, yes. like that's their stress. Yeah, like, everyone's got their own stress, right? Yeah, you create your own stress for whatever reason. Uh, news. What happens now? Charles is king. What happens now that Charles is king? There's a push. I don't know. Towards republic. Does it? Does any of this mean anything to you? Not like, really. I kind of like. I like the concept of it. It's kind of like the history of it. The Tradition, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's kind of cool. Did you, did you used to watch Downton Abbey? No, I can. Really? Yeah, no. Deb watched it. I didn't really. I watch. It was uh, cool to watch, like the you know how they lived and what they drove in and the house and yeah, all yeah. those things. That was yeah. pretty cool. What What was that recent one? Um, oh, Bridgerton. I've watched that. That's oh, yeah. pretty cool. Uh, I watched the Crown. The Crown. Yeah, I watched Crown for a bit. It's really interesting to kind of see how her reign started. Like she's in oh, yeah. Nambia or South Africa or uh, Zimbabwe and kind of just that, you know, oh, your dad's died, you've got to get back. The king has died. Or, yeah, you've got to get on a plane. You get off the plane near the queen and you've got all this. Like just like, <laughs> imagine that. Just <laughs> what a head swing. Crazy, crazy. Uh the, the yeah, only thing bizarre. I can I can relate to that is like the school calls and like your kid's sick, you have to come pick the kid up. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna drop everything. <laughs> that is my that's my the closest thing that I can get to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, nuts. Are we ready to roll? Uh, I think we're ready, man. All right. What are we? Episode thirty one. Let's get into it. Welcome everyone, episode 31 of the Wide Lens Podcast. I'm Robert Baharin and I have my co-host. Look out, co-host I've been promoted, people. Here, Matt Rigby. We're going to cover the <laughs> latest topics in financial markets and also the latest in... Uh, what, what, what's, what, what topic would that be? The Queen's death. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Royal somber <laughs> black cloud hanging over the podcast. I wonder today. what this means for the stock market. Has anyone done any Zero. analysis on that? No. 
doesn't mean anything. It means a lot for her family, obviously. Yeah. All right. Now, we're getting off track here. We're recording Already. this on Friday the 9th <laughs> of September. And did we say it's episode number 31? Uh, let's get into Matt's market minute. We've got a bit to kick off today. All right. Uh, so the Aussie market are basically flat for the week, down 9.98. Let's call it 10% year to date. Uh, no real earnings of note, so I'm going to skip that. Uh, a few company announcements in New Zealand, down about just over 1.5%. Announced they carried 21.6% more passengers in July of this year than July of last year. I'm surprised it's not more. Only 21%? Yeah. In New Zealand. Mm. As in they were in lockdown this time last year, right? Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, I feel like everyone was. Anyway, I think they were. Uh, Seven West, down about 3%, announced new AFL rights, a new AFL rights deal from 2025 to 2031. Um, again, surprised me on the downside. Paying an average increase each year of about 3.6%. Average increase of what? On the fees. Oh, on the rights deal. Yeah. Right. Well, that's good. Inflation's at nine, so that's a good deal. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, AFL, surely they've got bargaining power. I don't, I don't know. know. Just maybe it's, maybe like it's a, a big number like of a commercial lease, yeah, right? You just, it's like a nominal amount, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They didn't say how much they're paying. I'm sure it's a lot. Uh, Metcash down about one and a half. Uh, trading updates suggest consumer behaviour hasn't really changed, so people are still spending and spending strong. I think... Up around 10% for the start of this financial year compared to the start of last financial year. Do they give any insight into uh, different brands, whether people are buying different style of products, different brands? or Not that I saw. Uh, I didn't read a lot into it. I think it was just a brief trading update. It's uh, interesting. I'm not sure. Yeah. So still spending. And Tyro, the payments processing business, received a bid at $1.27. The board pretty quickly rejected that. I think shares are trading above $1.30, I think. Uh, so market expecting more there. Uh, the Nasdaq up about 1.3%, down 25% year to date. Uh, 56 stocks down more than 20%, 17 in positive territory. S&P 500 up around one and three quarters, down 16 and a half year to date. Uh, 129 positive, 202 down more than 20%. Only a few, 119 stocks announced earnings this week. So we're getting towards the end of the Earnings period, which is good because the next one starts in about three weeks. Uh, GameStop beat earnings down about seven and three quarter percent. Old Dominion, which is a freight company, down about three and a half percent. They beat Dave and Buster's, the I don't know what do you call it, adult not adult entertainment, but you know, go to a bar and play some video games type place. Uh, down about seven and a half percent. McCormick, the spice company, down about five percent. And Neo, the Chinese EV company. Down just under eight and a half. So whether you beat or miss, you're just getting crushed. Basically, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just doesn't matter. Was it last week? The companies that all the companies that beat were down, yeah, and those yeah, that missed yeah. were up. Yeah. Bizarre. Anyway, uh, Apple had their uh, product event this mm. week, down about one point three percent. I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot that was all that interesting to me, except for they've held their prices for their phones at about the same level as last year which is really interesting, I think, given all the imports that they've got that go into a phone, the supply chain issues, freight costs, 
Uh, I don't know. Just kind what of do you reckon that conversation was like around the boardroom table around pricing? We've been screwing customers for about 15 years now. Let's give them cut, a break. Cut them a bit of slack. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I did read, though, that um, separately I read that uh, I believe the first run of the phones are in China and then they're producing more in India and possibly right. more in India than they're producing in China these days. So they're producing in India at the moment. Yeah. With such confidence. Now, I'm pretty sure they do. But I think that's relatively new. Uh, in that, so they started manufacturing iPhones in 2017. Oh, that's oh, okay. right. Remember where they, ma- they had the iPhone SE, the lower, sort of lower, lower the base model uh, phone that they were, try- they were selling into the developing world? That was made out of India. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay, there you go. Uh, CVS Health up about 4.5%. It's the largest healthcare company in the US. I didn't know that. Uh, spending about $8 billion in cash to buy Signify Health, uh, which is a home healthcare business. Um, this follows both Walgreens and United Health also getting into the home healthcare market. So uh, just, I guess, a bit of a different skew on the same industry for those guys. And in some sad news, Bed Bath & Beyond CFO Gustavo Anal uh, died this week, uh, This week, taking his own life. The reason I thought I'd bring this up... Did um, he jump out of a building? Yeah, in oh, that's right. I read about New that. York. Somewhere in New York, yeah. And th- then they found... What did they find after that in his office? They found... They find documents oh. or... Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't... Yeah, I didn't read that bit. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um but yesterday was Are You OK Day here in Australia, uh, September 8th. So I was just kind of mindful, just sort of reflecting on that. Uh, with interest rates going up and inflation and you know, tons of people kind of probably starting to feel the pinch a little bit, mm. or if they're not now, they certainly will be, I would imagine. Uh, and so I did a little bit of research, and I didn't realise this, but financial stress is estimated to account for about 20% of all suicides. Wow, that's a big number, isn't it? it? Massively high number. Uh, And men, about 75% of all suicides. So Mm -hmm. just a shout out to all the guys out there. You know, don't be afraid to reach out. Beyond Blue, Lifeline, you know, great services out there. Talk to friends, you know, whatever it is. uh, But reach out if you're Do you feel like people are more accepting to have... I mean, I think we... Like, here at our office, we talk about stuff... You know, with our kids and partners and family and life and yep. stress and and I, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've been talking about it a bit more. Do you think that more people are being more receptive and uh, nurturing for those types of conversations? Whereas I, f- I feel like that having that conversation was just is just never had. Like it was either awkward or you don't have that conversation with your work colleagues or anything like that. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, you even think like our parents' generation, you know, the, the men, men are men, you know, you don't show emotion or whatever, and I, that has definitely changed. I'd like to think people are more aware and more open to it mm. these days. I mean, there are a lot more services available than the, what they were in the past. Uh, so maybe that's an indication that maybe we're more open to using it. Was that, was that took the kids uh, to soccer on Tuesday and one of the, and I, I helped the coach out because kids are out of control. I don't know how this young guy is supposed to handle these kids. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm that dad. So, and the, the, the parents of the other kids think that I'm part of the coaching, com- like the coaching yeah, uh, right. company and they come ask me questions. I'm like, I'm a dad. I've got, I've got no idea. 
Anyway, one of the kids, the goalkeeper, fell over and he hurt himself and he and he got up. I said, "Oh, you okay, mate? Cause I'm I'm on the ground in amongst them." And and he's, he would have been he's like six or seven. He said, "Yeah, I'm okay. My my daddy said that if I fall down, I should just get back up and not cry." And I'm like, oh, "Pressure, okay, mate." It's okay to cry. Like if you're hurt or something's wrong, it's okay to cry. And he's like, "No, no, my daddy said not to, not wow. to." And I think about like that's, you know, you and I've grown up differently. This kid's growing up like that, and he's going to have his own sort of, you know, not being able to express emotion. Yeah, um, yeah. That's. It, uh, I'd say that's. I don't know. Maybe that's, it's hard to know whether my view and experience of. Of the you know raising kids is is the norm or the exception, but I'd say that don't cry, don't show emotion, don't show weakness, that mm. sort of stuff. Surely that's the exception these days. You reckon? Ah, well, my experience it would be, but I don't know. Maybe I'm the exception. I don't know. I, I rec- I've got no idea. But I, I just I just say that because of what you're, you know, what you're bringing up right now. Yeah. That this is still being passed on from one generation to, to the, the next. next and from who knows how often this six-year-old's been hearing this and he's probably going to continue to hear it until he's older, old enough to sort of rebel and kind of do his own thing. I don't know. Yeah. How old's that? Like 13, 14? <laughs> you know, better than I do. At least 13. But Maybe earlier. You, you get, you know, do you know what I mean? So you've got, you know, 10 plus years of and in your infancy when you're learning and just developing that that's what you're supposed to do or that's what you're not supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, and we, we talk, you know, like how much is that, that experience of growing up still influence and impact our lives, our view of the world? Yeah, even if it's a, we don't want to raise our kids that way because of X, Y, and Z, it's still an influencing factor. So I think, I mean, it's massively influencing and, mm. and if you're telling kids at six not to cry, then what's the outlet? Mm. How do they let that go? You know, how do they tap into those emotions when they're, they jump out of a building. 16 or 30. Yeah. When they have hard times, it's like, what do you do? Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. It's tough. So, I don't know. I think there's, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more. I feel like people are more accepting of and nurturing of, I don't know, like this. Whatever yeah. this is, right? Hopefully. Hopefully they are. So, anyway. it's okay to cry. Totally okay. okay. Um, let's move on to emerging markets. Uh, uh, emerging okay. markets down about 0.3 for the week, down 13 and a half year to date. Oil down four and a half for the week, uh, up only 11% year to date at 82.95 US uh, barrel. It has been belted lately. Petrol price, diesel check in. What's diesel? Two, two <laughs> weeks. Two weeks to go, and the Scomo. Not two my. Weeks. Not my job. <laughs> Two weeks of my birthday. Uh, that day, <laughs> petrol prices go up, guys. So, um, well, if you unleaded to come back down, like low sixties, high fifties. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's up and down. It's crazy. If uh, if I don't if I don't receive a gift, I will understand due to petrol prices and tough times. So, it's okay. yeah. Look, I <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and Bitcoin last five days down. Uh, about 2.6% down, just basically 60% year to date, $19,321.60 US cents a coin. Um, interesting, there's 52 week range, 17,708 to 68,789. That's mental. What do you think now that we know what we know about the likes of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Like, what, how do you define risk? You know, in finance, risk was always, you know, volatility and standard deviation. And, and that's what it, that's how it was referred to as risk. Like, mm. what, 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 is, 
what is risk now? Is it the chance that something can just blow up? Like whether it's a, uh, an Ethereum or, well, not, not, not some Ethereum, but all the other cryptocurrencies, I can't don't know the names anymore, that have just oh, blown up and just blown, blown up. up. Vanished. Like is that risk yeah. now? Or is risk still, do you think, the fact that something can uh, well, I think range between seventeen and $70,000? Well, it's still a risk. I mean, it's what, a $51,000, whatever percent that is. It's massive. I mean, it's still a risk, but I think, you know, the dot-com boom, boom, maybe you would have said the same. You know, there's a bunch of companies that just vanished because they were raising money and had no real mm-hmm. business case. Uh, but no one cared and everyone just sort of jumped on and worried about it later. Yeah, I think Bitcoin was probably, or cryptos were probably the same thing. Maybe there's, yeah, this is their dot-com bust moment and Bitcoin is having their Amazon moment or, you know, whoever. Uh, and, you know, you get rid of the, the crap and, and the legitimate ones survive mm. and evolve into whatever they're going to evolve into. Mm. Uh, I don't know if the definition of risk has changed, but I kind of feel like... I don't know, maybe the... I feel like volatility, and I've mentioned this a few times, I feel like it's just that the highs are higher and the lows are lower. The highs are higher and the lows are lower. No, it's purely just based on nothing <laughs> other than just kind of what I feel like. It's, I just feel like With people what's are going quicker on now. to throw it, you know, quicker to get mm. in and quicker to get out, and you get a lot more up and down. More volatility, more risk. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, all right, uh, economic data... Some interesting stuff that's come out over the last week. US last Friday, US job numbers for August were released. Three hundred and fifteen thousand new jobs created. That was down from July's five hundred and twenty-six thousand, which was extremely strong. Uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate increased by 0.2 to three point seven percent. So pretty still very very low. Uh, the Aussie June quarter GDP came in at 0.9, annualized three point six, really strong. Uh, followed, following that, the RBA raised rates 50 basis points to 2.35%. Look out for the letter from your bank. That's coming. Um, and in comments at the uh, Anika Foundation, uh, Phil Lowe said, um, which I think was really interesting, although kind of had probably left me with more questions than answers, but uh, we are conscious that there are lags in the operation of monetary policy and that interest rates have increased very quickly. And we recognise that, all else equal, the case for a slower pace of increase in interest rates has become stronger as the level of cash rate rises. I mean, I don't think that's groundbreaking. But it's it's common sense and sensible to me. It's what it sounds like. Yeah, but also I think what he's saying is we've got more rates coming. Yeah. Next month might be 25 or 50, and it's probably an increasing chance they're going to be 25 going forward than 50. But there's more coming. Uh, he went on to say, uh, but how high interest rates need to go and how quickly we get there will be guided by the incoming data and the, ev- and the evolving outlook for inflation and the labour market. Data, depen- that was data dependent, right? Data dependent. <laughs> but the labour market, I think that's the key. Like, that's the key for them. Uh, that, that's the one they're, wa- they're watching closely. So they'll keep putting rates up as long as the labour market can take it, I think. The... Do you know what the Australian 10-year yield curve is sitting at now? The 10-year? I know that's moved. Well, actually, I know the US has moved quite a bit higher. No, I don't know. Take a Take punt. A punt. Uh, I'm going to say like 2.7. So six months ago, the 10-year was 2.32. 
a month ago it was 3.23. Well, hang on. 2.3 and 3.2. So point it's gone nine. up. Yeah, far out. Uh, okay. Currently, as of yesterday, the 10 years sitting at 3.67. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. Wow, that surprises me. A- and so it's moved in the last couple of weeks, it has moved significantly. Yeah, okay. And stocks haven't fallen that much for that size see, of a move. See, that's the in, that's the conundrum, right? Like yeah. if you think about the stock market as a forward-looking machine, why it's this conundrum of rates are still going up. Mm-hmm. If there's a recession coming, and if there is this recession, why is the yield curve still steepening? And if there isn't, why is the stock market down? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And it feels like the stock market and the bond market have been at odds for most of this year, although they have both declined, but I feel like they just, yeah, they could both have it wrong. Or they could, no, well, one, someone, one's got one, it right. One's got to be right. One's got it wrong, but I don't, I mean, it's, the bond market traditionally has been the more accurate forecaster, I think, of general economic conditions. Mm. Um, and so if the bond market's saying, then... If you look at the it, – yeah. it's a steepening yield curve and it flattens out from about the 20-year uh, maturity profile and then it flattens out to 30 years, I mean, un- understandably. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rising yield curve. Mm. And the stock market's saying, I'm calling the bluff. Yeah. Certainly over the last couple of weeks since yep. we had Jackson Hole and Jay Powell speak and we had – Rates rise in Australia. This is Australia, right? This is Australia. The Australian yield curve. Yeah, right. Yeah. And stocks have, have stocks have come back mm. quite, quite a bit. But you look at the US yield curve, it has been inverted for, I don't know, a good couple of months now. I mean, the 10-year US is sitting at 3248 uh, which is oh, higher. That, that's, a, that's one wonky yield curve. Yeah, but the one year is sitting at 3.5. Uh, Even the, one the six, year. six oh, month yeah. is sitting at 3.4. So, yeah, it's it's not straight down. But, I mean, you know, over the last month, the US yield 10-year bond rate is up 50 basis points. That's a pretty big move, 2.7 to 3.2. Do you... Like, so... We're at two two thirty five. If you remember a little while ago, the market was was predicting a uh, at the end of <laughs> the RBA wasn't going to raise rates till twenty twenty four. Twenty four. Still waiting for that, <laughs> Phil. Come on, mate. Uh, uh, so it was at three percent back into twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. Now we're at two point three five. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty much on the money on that one. But the market's predicting getting close to four percent now. Cash rate. Yeah. Do you think that's over, do you think it's overcooked? Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I would have said, I think I did say, and I probably still believe that 3% is going to have a pretty damaging impact. I, I, I agree. It's starting to have an impact now, and we're just starting to feel the circulation of the rate rises through the economic plumbing. Yeah, and I, how many rate rises have we had? I feel like, was it May the first one? Yeah, I mean, it was. I feel yeah, like May was so the first. So, your mate... Christopher Joy came out and said, I think you were telling me, that um, or reiterating someone else's comment, maybe you should tell the, <laughs> tell the story, about the three to six month lag from the first rate rise. 
Yeah. So if that, that was May, what's that, May? Yeah, so I wrote that. No. I, I wrote about that in the blog. Oh, did you? I yeah. Should, I should read your blogs. <laughs> so <laughs> w- what I was saying was, and I shared that chart that you, you, you shared, which was from Schwab, that looked at interest rates and the net interest rate net interest rate hikes uh, from central banks around the world. So the first rate hike was 4th of May, 25 points, and then went 50 in June, July, August, and September. So we've had May, June, July, August, September, October, November. So we're now... I feel like now, and I think um, Gareth from CBA was saying that it takes three to six months for interest rates to start to have an impact in the economy. And so if Gareth's right, and I just intuitively I feel like... So it's right. it feels right. Just tipped over that three-month mark. What? May, May, June, July, well, August. So we're month four. To June, we're just, July, August. Yeah, we're okay. just now feeling the initial rate, rights, rate hikes. And every rate hike after that, every month from now on, it, to the you end start of the year. to feel every single hike that came out. And that and first so, one was 25, right? Correct. Then we went to 50, 50. 50. Which, and, and you might say, forget the first one because that's nothing. And so then you go 50, 50, 50. Maybe you're not going to feel this stuff until early in 2023. Yeah. The economy starts shitting itself. The RBA is going, let's Fuck. just hold off here. Yep. And to your point, rate cuts are far greater and quicker than rate rises. Rate yes. rises are a very slow, prolonged process. Rate cuts happen bloody quickly. Mm. Yep. There, there, there's no time in history where you've seen prolong slow rate cuts I you're know, on a 25 here 25 there it's like bang 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 just you're on a da- you're on a downhill slope and you got to pull that handbrake yeah yep uh yeah interesting so yeah and, but rate cuts are happening around the world so canada raised by 75 basis points i think they're now sitting at in the threes the three and a quarter um and last night, ECB raised by 75 basis points, hinting it could do more of the same uh, for several future moves. So it's another 75, 75. Yeah, I mean, what, you can't expect anything else, really. Well, I don't know. We'll talk about Europe in a little bit. Okay. I'm just going to bring this chart up really quickly. Uh, this is kind of on the back of what I talked about a couple of months ago. Um, you know, some of the rate rises that we've had over the last year across various countries... Uh, you can see Brazil and Mexico, the emerging market uh, countries, are the standouts there. Now, this is old because uh, Australia has risen by 50 since this chart, uh, Canada 75 and Europe 75. But um, Look at Brazil, man. 750. 750 right. points. I mean, if you're going hard, go hard, right? But yeah, even the US, 225, and they've got a meeting coming up this month, and I'd be shocked if they didn't do another... 50 at a minimum, but I think it'll be 75. That'll get them to 3% this year. I think they'll go another 75. I think they've got more to come. Uh, and we've talked about, you know, the structure of their mortgage market and all that. I think that all that plays into it. Their unemployment is still very, very strong. Uh, and the strong US dollar absolutely helps uh, on the inflation side, helps, you know, purchasing. Uh, it also helps every other country around the world exporting into sure. you know into the US. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting dynamic. If the US comes off the boil, they might I don't know how, how that impacts, but uh, anyway, we're getting distracted. Uh, why, why you may not know this, but why is Indonesia so look at their one year change. Done nothing. What are they Have they always sort of had a they haven't no. had to I mean, they've only made one change. Uh, 
Well, like what were their lockdowns like? I don't. I mean, apart I, from I, Bali, I don't know that they had. I, I don't know. But if you look at that, that was their cash rate would have been sitting at three fifty, three and a half. And so they were higher than most of these, other than the likes of Mexico and Brazil. I was trying to find mm. what the Zimbabwe. Remember, we had we look. This Zimbabwe's yeah. um, their inflation was like eighty thousand percent or something ridiculous. It was yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> I'm trying to see what their ca- what their cash rate is at the moment. I don't know if this is right. It says it's two hundred percent. Yeah, in June. So <laughs> interest rates in Zimbabwe averaged forty nine point one seven percent from two thousand nineteen until twenty twenty, reaching an all time high of two hundred percent in June of twenty twenty two. Wow. Who, who wants yield? <laughs> can, can we redefine risk as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the time the money comes out of the ATM, you need more money. Like Bloody that hell. Process, that's crazy. Uh, all right, so moving on. China trade surplus dropped from 1. 1, uh, sorry, 101 billion US down to 79 billion. It's probably a reflection of their extreme lockdowns. In Europe, Germany's factory orders dropped 1.1%. Uh, a drop of 0.4 was expected and their August construction PMI at 42.6 from 43, so solidly in contraction territory. Uh, Eurozone construction PMI fell to 45 um, and, uh, sorry, fell from 45 to 44 and June quarter GDP came in at 0.8, which I thought was really, really strong. Uh, Year on year Mm. GDP growth at 4.1, which is bloody strong. Mm. Um, so they got some more rate rises coming, and uh, that's it for my market minute. <laughs> we're gonna, we're Twenty gonna, minutes. We're going to change the, the name of that segment. <laughs> um, so the thing that I want to talk about is in in my topic um, the sixty forty portfolio. Uh, it, it's it's no news that stock markets are obviously down, bond markets are down, um, but for investors, it really feels painful at the moment because you can't what your portfolio is supposed to do from a diversification perspective it is not, not doing happening. Yep. it's not happening and so i want to bring this um first chart up this is from bespoke i think they um they put some pretty cool things here together so this shows the the worst year on record for the 60 40 portfolio and for those listening who don't know what a 60 40 portfolio is 60 percent in stocks 40 percent in bonds it's your sort of rule of thumb balanced portfolio that's used around the world uh, and in fact, uh, some of the headlines are suggesting that this this is the worst fall on record since 1936. But I don't know if 1936 there were, ever was like a 60-40 portfolio. Right. But I think what they've done is they've put the data together and said, even if there wasn't a 60-40 portfolio, this is what it looks like. And so you're down 14% year to date That's through to August, the end of August, you're down 14% on a, on a reasonably well-diversified portfolio. Uh, I'll bring up this next chart uh, now. And what they, what they, what, what uh, Bespoke then said was, well, if you then added commodities, commodity wow. exposure to your portfolio, and so what they did was they put together a, 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 a portfolio that was equal weight, fixed income, equities and commodities. So 33, 33, 33. Right. And so you can see how it cushioned your portfolio from being down 14% to being still down, but relatively speaking, only down 1.1%. Uh, third chart, diversification to commodities reduce returns and lowers volatility. So you have a look at the annualised returns in the far left. For the 60-40 portfolio, it's close to 10%. If you added um, 
commodities in there, your, your, your return drops by about 120 20. points yep. per annum for the last like 40, 30, 30 years or whatever it is. Yep. Um, you have a look at the oh. annualized returns for the last 10 years. You know, your, your, your returns halved by yeah. adding yeah. commodities in there. You have a look at the standard deviation or risk uh, for, the, for 1976 and for the last 10 years. Com- commodities do help reduce the volatility, but we can start to see here that it also has reduced investor returns. returns. Significantly. I mean, for a, I don't know what percentage drop that is, let's call it a 10% drop in volatility. You've got a 50% drop or thereabouts in yeah, returns. So let me bring this uh, chart up as well. Commodities exposure, long um, uh, bespoke's title is long-term pain, infrequent gain. This is the relative performance of equal weight fixed income equities commodities relative to that of the 60-40 portfolio total return. Okay. <clears throat> so above the line, six, the commodity, the, the portfolio that includes commodities is outperforming 60-40. Below the line, 60-40 is outperforming. Basically. A lot more below the line. A lot more below the line. But when it's above the line, well, I was going to say it's well above. It's not. There's a couple. But to bespoke point, long-term pain, infrequent gain. And but so you do have infrequent gains. But yes. as long as you're seeing it through and you're writing your, the, uh, the investments out and that period out, like why would you start holding the commodities? Yeah, I mean, it's so cyclical and I think this just highlights it. And we've talked before that volatility is the price of entry. You know, it's just it's what you're signing up for when you get into equities and you can try and diversify that away but we know that that reduces your returns uh and you know including a, a you know and 33 percent of your portfolio in commodities is a lot that's a big number uh but you know for illustration purposes uh i think it highlights that you know, commodities uh, i don't know in inflationary times it's good non-inflationary times not so much and trying to pick that is difficult yeah, I think that that uh, previous chart, the nine point nine two percent return since nineteen seventy six of a sixty forty portfolio, pretty good. I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with that, right? One hundred percent. I mean, you talk about commodities. I mean, if I, I just I just have a look at the price of gold, um, it's basically done nothing. It's traded sideways for the last, um, which is fascinating given. Well, the inflationary environment. Well, see, that's right? the thing, right? Like, what, like in is theory, it gold that's to be the hedge? And Bitcoin. Well, clearly Bitcoin wasn't uh, the hedge. Uh, Price of silver has gone from its peak in uh, 8th of March 2022. Um, I can't... March. So we're we're down about... Oh, this is the worst charting software we've ever seen. What the hell is this? Uh, It's down from 840 bucks to to 600 bucks. So what's that? 25% decline on, on the price of silver from its March peak. And gold's no different. Yeah. You've got $65,000 a kilo down to 55. Is that 15%? Uh, What's 65,000? Oh, a kilo. A kilo. Yep. So that's another 20% decline in, in one of the highest inflationary periods. We've had or is this years. saying inflation's peaked? So some food for thought there. The data's saying that commodities do help, but... You got to get. I reckon you got to front run it. You got to get 
ahead of it before it happens. Mm-hmm. And then you got to get out because the yeah, damn thing can turn. Don't hold super it for quick. the long term. Uh, yep. This final chart I just want to bring up as well. It's from Vanguard. Uh, what they did was they looked at the percentage of time periods when with negative total returns. On the top, you've got stocks and bonds both negative. And so what the bubble shows is on average, uh, this is since 1976 as well, uh, on average, 50, almost 15% of the time, stocks and bonds both go negative Okay. on a one-month average. Over a three-month period, 8.5% uh, of the time, stocks and bonds are both negative. Six-month uh, periods, stocks and bonds go negative 3.6% of the time. But then you have a look at one year and three years. Vanguard point out that since 1976, investors never encountered a three-year span of losses in both stocks and bonds. The one-year number is 0.4. That's a really so low number. Basically zero. So in the short term, in one, three, six, nine months, yep. even going up to the one year, there is... And, and, the, and the, the probability diminishes rapidly yeah. beyond the six-month period. Yep. And so, so we're, we're in month nine now. Don't ask me what those grey... I've read the paper. I don't understand what the bottom, <laughs> what the bottom <laughs> numbers are. 60 stock, 40 bond, portfolio negative. Is that saying the portfolio is negative? So if you had 60% stocks, 40% bonds? I think so. Over a one-month period, there's a one how, three I chance. I don't understand how that's different to stocks and bonds both negative. Well, I'd, I was looking at it going, if stocks and bonds have never been both negative... For a three-year period, then how the hell how is they 60, in the 60, 40? 40. I'm not. I, I read the paper like three times. Yeah. Okay. So Vanguard, <laughs> uh, give us a shout out. Explain the chart, please. But I, I'm focusing on what they're pointing out. They're pointing out that since 1976, investors never incurred a three-year period of losses in both stocks and bonds. Yeah. And so I think the point is, like in the short term, a lot of stuff can happen, but it's just it's just widening out that horizon yep. to be able to ride out ride out those. Those, uh, those ups and downs. Yeah, look, and I think, yeah, we've talked about it so many times that uh, stay the course, investing is for the long term. But it's, it's hard, just, like when you're there, hard. Absolutely. day to day, you see a portfolio. I mean, we, when we talk to investors and talk to clients, they're at a point now where they're just saying, I don't even look, in, look at the, my yeah. value anymore. Yep. The only time I look at it is when we talk to you guys. Yeah. And We're going to stop showing clients their portfolio <laughs> value. Uh, but no, I think, I think it's a, I don't think that's a bad thing. And the thing is, you, you tell clients that when times are good, when the portfolio is getting you know, 20 22%, like, yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. Mm. But as soon as it, we hit the skids, everyone's like, shit. Yeah, don't look. Don't look. We were chatting to a client a while ago saying he checks his portfolio two or three times a day. Like, yeah. man, that's, that's, <laughs> do your job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in this environment, you know, that could be a pretty wild roller coaster, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the emotional roller coaster, the stress that that could cause is... Yeah, huge. It's um, not worth it. So, look, there, there's. Uh, I, I f- I'd like to say I feel like we're through the the worst of it. It's what history tells us, but uh, you and I both don't know. So let's let's no. let's move on, and we'll touch yeah. on a couple of things later. Speaking of the worst of it, hello Europe. Uh, so I've been reading quite a bit. I just curious and just kind of letting my mind wander as to what the hell. How does this play out in Europe? So for a bit of background, uh, we obviously know they're facing some challenges with Putin going a bit crazy and invading Ukraine. Um, so considering these challenges that they're facing, 
and, and listening to some of the language coming out of the you know UK and European governments and some of the actions that they're now putting in place. Just wondering, how do they avoid disaster? And I mean, recession definitely. Does it get worse than that? Like, could they go into a eighteen month? Assuming the war continues and, and gas prices stay where they are, could they have like a eighteen month, two year recession? I mean, the Bank of England came out a little while ago saying expect all of next year for the UK to be in recession. I mean, that's pretty bloody dire. Uh, so I've been looking at a few things. So the UK have got a new prime minister, Liz Truss, and I bet she's kind of wishing that <laughs> she didn't inherit <laughs> didn't inherit that job right now. Um, so the energy crisis in, in Britain is, is, is pretty severe, as it is across most of Europe. Um, and Australia, in the Baharian household. It, well, for origin it is. <laughs> AGL are licking their lips going, just crank up that heater. Uh, but, you know, they've had massive gas price increases during summer. And that's the kind of thing that sort of struck me. I was sitting back going, oh, fuck. They're on the brink of winter. And this is just going to get worse, I think. So... Um, a study by the University of York predicts that over half of all of UK households will be trapped in fuel poverty by January 2023. Half. Half. Of UK. UK households. Will be trapped in what? Any, what they call fuel poverty. What does that, that is mean? That is that they're struggling to pay their energy bills. Mm. So if they're struggling to pay your energy bills... Baharian household in winter, surely that's one of the last things you don't pay. Bloody cold in the UK. Yeah, summer, let alone because winter, it right? just gets shut off. That's, that's yeah. the consequence, right? Yep. Yep. So the UK government are obviously acutely aware of this issue. Um, so they are apparently putting together or are expected to be putting together a £200 billion energy package for households and businesses across the UK over an 18-month period to help pay for their energy bills. So 200 billion pounds. Putin's rubbing his hands. Yeah, although it's interesting that oil prices have fallen off just as far as I have. Gas, I haven't looked at that. Anyway, so for a bit of context, they spent 310 billion during the COVID pandemic supporting houses. 310 billion pounds. Pounds. During the COVID pandemic, right? COVID. Do you want me to repeat that? No, no. You got that. Yeah. Uh, A bit slow this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Big night. I knew you had a big night. Um, (laughs) So this is at a time when the Bank of England is obviously raising rates to try and tame inflation. So the UK government are pumping tons of money back into the UK economy. Uh, UK's national debt is £2.3 trillion. So another £200 is 10%. So wow. adding 10%. That's a, bi- that's a big number, isn't it? That's just for energy. Like so imagine if unemployment starts to spike. Like Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so essentially the solution, and, and it's not just confined to the UK, so I did a little bit of digging, and the following countries are offering financial support to their citizens and or utilities you know, companies and, and businesses generally. So the UK, Italy, Spain, France, Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, Greece, Norway, Bulgaria, Finland, Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Sweden. 
That's basically all of Europe. Europe, basically. Just to answer your question, uh, price of natural gas uh, has gone from what back in twenty twenty the lows of you know a dollar a dollar a unit per, per British bushel or British thermal whatever they call uh, it. Metric million British thermal unit. That's it. <laughs> Good job. Um, and it yeah so like a dollar whatever a dollar something. Uh, and it jumped up to in twenty twenty one six dollars. <laughs> it jumped to nine dollars ninety four uh, early this year. Its peak was nine dollars seventy one in three weeks ago, but since then it's dropped about twenty percent. Oh wow! Okay, seven dollars seventy seven. So I don't, I don't know. What, it look it looks like it's peaked. Hmm. Is someone, is, someone, is, someone just, is someone turning the gas, just the pipeline, just... Little bit. Hey, no one's looking. Just open it a bit. Uh, so Finland's Economic Affairs Minister commented that this has the ingredients for a kind of Lehman Brothers of, energy, of the energy industry. Uh, so Finland is offering about 10 billion euros, Sweden about 23.4 billion euros, uh, in a government program that's kind of like financing of last resort for energy retailers and um, utilities. So utility are, they, are, they, are they helping out the households, the utility retailers? They're helping out the households, but this is a separate kind of insolvency right. fund. So, Because oh, a lot of the energy companies I hedge, understand. right? Yeah. So because they're hedging prices and, and prices are moving sure. so much that they can't meet their margin call. So this is a, a fund that they can tap into. If they can't tap into the market, then they can sort of tap into the uh, government coffers if you like uh so i'll bring up this chart and this is from someone somewhere uh <laughs> i don't even know i've got a link there uh anyway this is Statista. The, oh it is Statista. i was gonna say that but i couldn't see them um anyway so this is the average monthly electricity wholesale price in selected eu countries from wow. january last year uh 2020 to january 2022 um, Italy, 441% increase. Greece, 338. Hungary, 370. Germany, 300. France, 400. Sweden, 75, man. They've got it made. And Switzerland, 383. So some big increases there. What happened to Sweden? I don't know. It was interesting. I, I tried to find, see if there was any link to um, countries that had moved to more green energy because there was right. I read something during the week saying well this is all yeah terrible but part of it is their own fault that they went from fossil fuels to green energy so quickly that they became so reliant on external energy sources that you know they, they're just at the mercy of Russia as an example but I couldn't really find anything that supported that and I don't know what uh, Sweden have done in the past. So, uh, and I'll just bring up this this chart here. So, um, European countries that depend on Russian gas, uh, you know, Finland, there, Bulgaria, Germany, Italy, Poland, France, Netherlands. You know, they're all fairly significant. You know, interestingly, Germany. I think we've mentioned this. Have started mining coal mines again. You know, nuclear energy is now back on the the table mm. after a number of. Um, uh, nuclear energy plants were shut down over the last number of years. So, you know, not great for long-term environmental sustainability, but certainly I think when push comes to shove, uh, if you've got unhappy citizens, you do whatever the hell you can to, to help them afford you know, heating and all that. Uh, so it will be pretty interesting to see what happens over the next little bit uh, when it comes to 
uh, gas prices. Can I just throw something in there? Why have you been changing? Interesting to just kind of hear the the some of the what's triggered a lot of these things. Um, I've just put that in the dock now. Um, this is gas prices. Oh yeah. Um, so there was in two thousand five, two thousand six. We had the Ukraine Russia gas war again. I don't know what happened in like two thousand and seven. That third spike but it appears as though these spikes are just sharp and quick mm. and then they peak off and uh interestingly though this is in us dollars given how strong the us dollar is against the pound i mean they're talking about potential parity between the us yeah. dollar and pound which is massive and we've got parity in the euro but uh, i guess it's good for the americans <laughs> not for europeans <laughs> Well, I think the Europeans are exporting gas from, are importing gas from the US. Yeah, they are. So it's just getting more and more expensive for them. <laughs> that's the thing. Like that's it's like you can't win. <laughs> uh, so a couple of other things. So today the EU ministers, energy ministers, are meeting to discuss implementing price caps on energy, which Putin has said if they do that, they're just going to stop exporting to Europe altogether, like just shut it down. Um, and Russia recently shut down Nord Stream... Uh, one the pipeline going into Germany, I think they've completely shut it now. So there's one going through the Ukraine, uh, which obviously is in the middle of, of everything that's happening there. Um, so just bring up this last chart and then I'm done. Um, this is the Gazprom, the Russian, big Russian energy company. And this is their um, gas exports to Europe. Like, <laughs> look at that. Since June of last year to June of this year, like it has just... What's the, what's the black? Oh, no, that's Nord Stream flows, right, gotcha. Yeah, so this talk about weaponizing energy. I mean, it's 100% what they're doing. I don't think anyone's surprised by that, but I just I saw that chart and was kind of shocked at uh, just the dramatic drop-off. And you hear about, you know, and you read about, you know, Nord Stream being closed for maintenance and will mm, they reopen mm. it? And I, I kind of just thought, oh, it's all just, you know, political posturing. But no, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually happening. Uh, and it's happening not just, you know, the, the Turk stream, which goes through Turkey and the Ukrainian one uh, and Yermol, which I don't know, uh, Poland, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of happening across the board. Uh, yeah, so pretty interesting. Pretty, you know, it's really, it's kind of a bleak outlook, I think, for Europe generally over the next, I don't know, 12 months. Uh, presuming the war continues and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. I feel like we're just so distant to all of that, though. We are. Like, which is why some of these just really shock me because I'm just like, ah, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Prices are going, going up. Going up like, 400%. Whoa, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, unless, you, unless you're there kind of living it and really feeling the pinch, you know, we're whinging about petrol prices at ninety or whatever it is, but, but these guys have got gas bills coming in in the thousands of pounds yeah. you know, a month. Yep. Or a quarter, whatever it is. Like, yep. it's just ridiculous. Yeah, just going up quarter and quarter in summer. Like, look out for winter. Yeah. That, uh, I, I just think we've just got to watch this space because that, that, will, that will be a big one. Um, anything else you want to cover off on, on that one? Mate, you're, I think I've talked enough u- today. Uber, uber bullish on, on Europe, clearly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we'll just we'll wrap up. I'll, I'll do this one really, really quick and we'll, we'll, we'll get into, um, into, into director's cuts. So this is uh, from Sentiment Trader. And they've titled, they titled it, this is the most remarkable chart that we've ever seen. So if you remember in 2020, there was this uh, frenzy of these small 
speculators that were just going absolute bonkers and absolute bananas with options trading. Do you remember that? Like the meme? Yeah, there was, there was yeah, All correct. There was stuff. meme yeah, stocks. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think we actually shared this and it was from Sentiment Trader that at the time that was, that was the most re- remarkable chart that we had, that they had ever put together. Um, and they say until now, and quote, this time it's not small options traders that have panicked and it's not FOMO that's causing it. Rather, it's the largest traders in the market and they're buying protection against a crash at a pace unlike anything the market has ever seen before. Last week, traders uh, of 50 or more contracts bought to open nearly 5 million put options. More importantly, they spent a whopping $8.1 billion Holy on those contracts. Cow. That is almost double the amount of any week in the last 22 years. Jeez. And so I'll, I'll, bring, this, I'll bring this chart up now. Holy cow, can, look at that. If you can see that. So th- they net out the, the net speculative options. So the, the, uh, the puts and the calls, they just net everything out. And this is where it's at. Last week's panic hedging was three times more extreme than it was in 2008. Have a look at the f- spike positive mm-hmm. in the far right hand. That's uh, investors just going absolute bananas and bonkers if you remember in 2021. Yep. And, w- and, and when Sentiment Trader put the chart together, it said, wow, this, we've seen nothing like this ever. Yeah. We've never seen anyone or the market this bullish before. Wow, look at that. And now it is, it's, it's literally like that line has been uh, flipped vertically yep. and it's now exactly the opposite way. In the, in the, they go and say institutions bought a record amount. In like I wonder why countries. last week, like what was it in the last week? I don't imagine you know, but uh, yeah, in the last week, something has obviously triggered an enormous stampede across multiple institutions, not just, yeah, was it Jackson Hole? Is it a result of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that conveniently lines that's the up with, one, right? with that. I mean, they go on, they say, so why hasn't, uh, so why hasn't the VIX or the fear gauge uh, spiked along with this scramble for puts? And they go on to say it could be due to a number of factors like traders buying puts on stocks not included in the SP 500 or buying options with longer expiration dates. Uh, whatever the explanations, they go on to say the data is clear. Institutional traders are at a mad scramble for protection right now. Yeah, it's interesting that because I've been watching the VIX and, and I do, it's really interesting to sort of watch that. And it hasn't really done a lot. I mean, for the year it's up, but you look over the last month or so and it hasn't reacted to the extent that, you know, market swings have, have reacted. And for a lot of this year, you, you've been able to buy that VIX volatility hedge at what I'd say are probably pretty reasonable prices, you know, if you're that way inclined. But um, And so if the market was, market, if, 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 um, if this was any indication of what was to come back in 2021 and that played out, like I just wonder if there's something that institutional traders know of i mean it it sounds dumb as those words come out of my mouth but uh because no one knows the crystal balls are finally working <laughs> and they're just gone they've, short. Had, they've run out of battery they've plugged them back in uh they were unplugged because of um not electricity price <laughs> i'm gonna make a joke no here. energy didn't supply. work yeah um <laughs> so i don't know like it, it's it, that, that's really interesting to to me um but mm. Yeah, that's interesting. But it's fascinating. Yet again, we are being presented with conflicting data. And what was supposed to happen under certain circumstances in ver- ver- various areas of the market just have continued to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. Yep. And so I think it's just one of those things that you look at and you just have to take with a grain of salt because 
Yeah, I think it's all, it's more noteworthy as well because it's professional institutional investors, which you know, do they know more than us? Who knows? But um, they tend not to be as flighty as retail investors. Uh, but that's but at the same time, extreme. we've also seen we've shared charts in the past whereby you look at when institutional investors have gone to cash or overweight equities yeah, at and wrong times. Yeah, con- I mean they're human. Human beings, the the unfortunately. <laughs> that's the thing, like the rest of us. So I th- look, I, th- I thought that was worth worth noting, and well, you know, it's extreme on one side, extreme on the other side. Maybe we start normalising. Who knows? Yeah. All right, director's cuts, mate. Uh, you're up first. What do you uh, got? So first one I've got, I, I, I read this article on CNBC. Former Apple engineer accused of stealing automotive trade secrets pleads guilty. So this guy that was a, an Apple engineer, he left Apple. Let me try and remember exactly what happened. <laughs> so he, 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 I, he left the US. And I can't remember whether he managed to land in, in China or whether they caught him at the airport leaving for right. China. So he was leaving. Uh, in, so he was wor- uh, So this guy, Zhang, Tiang Lang Zhang, a former Apple employee, was accused of stealing computer files, the trade secrets, but Apple's secretive card division pleaded guilty in, in federal court in San Jose on Monday. Uh, so he faces as much as 10 years in prison. And a 10 years? $250,000. $250,000 I mean. fine. <laughs> For uh, theft of, of trade secrets. I'm just trying to see where he got caught. So he was taking, so he was accused of taking uh, reference manuals and PDFs describing Apple's prototypes and prototype requirements. Wow. Ah, uh, oh, so he was arrested by federal agents uh, at the San Jose airport um, yeah, right. where he planned to fly to China. And he previously worked for Apple since 2015, most recently on their hardware uh, of, uh, in their autonomous vehicle team. So pretty, pretty ballsy like this engineer takes do- takes documents and prototypes and secrets for their for their automotive cars flies out from san jose and trying to fly to china and just gets busted i mean ten, imagine ten you're in sitting at the airport like oh, i've got it i'm good He's damn it just <laughs> <stole>. <laughs> how, how how did they find out about that yeah i don't know um the other thing that i f- i thought that was just just interesting <laughs> This was fascinating to me. Uh, now, I think in Portugal it is now. There is a robot that uh, has like these mechanical arms, what and it goes hell? and pick. Have you, have you opened the link? Yeah. And it's just this. It's got these arms, and it picks berries, and it detects the berries when they're ready, when the fruit is ready to pick. It's got four arms, and it applies the <laughs> pressure on the stems rather than the berries, so that the berries don't get damaged. And this thing, so there's two of them now that are working in farms in Portugal. So, uh, and the fruit of their labour is on sale in, in UK supermarkets already. So, fruit pickers, your job. Days are number, champ. Just get out there while you can. And it, it just looks so elegant the way that this thing it's is. It's really slow. Man, take all day just to pick a. <laughs> Bloody <punnet>. hell. <laughs> That's why berries are more expensive now. It takes longer to pick them. <laughs> Well, there are machines that go out but, there and... But they're also via drones as well now. I just saw that. How crazy is that? There's machines that go out there and shake the trees. like, And all the apples fall out and then like, they hoover them up or something. <laughs> but uh, drones, drones and, 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 and robots are going through and picking. So 85 million jobs could be displaced by autom- automation. Oh, really? Wow. I, I don't know what, what year. But that, by that 2025, was just, it said. It's... 
three years away. But 97 million jobs, new jobs created. could be created. Uh-huh. So it's a net benefit. Uh, so, yeah, whether that means fruit prices are going up or down, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's <laughs> a crazy. reason for both. Um, finally, from me, I saw this in Bloomberg. Do you know about this thing? No, no idea. I just had to look it up. Uh, searches, so popular sports, pickleball is now the number one searched sport this summer in the US. Do you know and what... For those who don't know what pickleball is, Rob. I was going to ask you. Well... I just had to look it up. So pickleball, uh, and I will share the links in, in the post, but pickleball is like... It's like tennis. <laughs> it's like mini tennis. You're on a mini tennis court with a mini tennis net, but what? you've got like, like these... Paddle? They are. They, they, so okay. imagine like rowing paddles, but you chop the whole handle off and you've got just got the end paddle. <laughs> and you're playing tennis with like a tennis ball that looks really light. Did you know about this? No. But it's been around for a really long time. I feel like I heard someone talking about it a little while ago and I asked them what it was and I just lost interest. But there is, yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you compare it to badminton and table tennis... So it's like standing on the table of table tennis. It's like a that's what they look like. Share the link, but it's literally a mini thing. I thought you being in the US would have been thing. Like, look at the Americans, man. Look at these sports they're creating. Yeah, they're just like was tennis, table tennis, badminton not enough? That we had to like amalgamate (laughs) the three and create. We need more, damn it! And and it's called pickleball. I don't even know. Like, what does that even mean? Uh, Who knows, man? Anyway, that's uh, (laughs) those things that I came across this week in my readings. All right, uh, so. Uh, one thing uh, I saw from statistic, we'll bring this up now. This is the, so in the European football leagues, the uh, summer transfer window closed and the numbers are in and it would appear that the Premier League has far more money than everyone else combined, pretty much. They need to give the money to the UK That's government for this energy crazy. crisis. Now, there you go. That's a good <laughs> idea. So the net spending on transfers... So revenue less the money they actually spent on transfers. 1.3 billion euros. So the Premier League spent 2.2 billion euros basically buying players in over the summer, which is significantly more than ever before. Um, Serie A, the Italian league, was the second at 750 million. So that's that three wow. times more. So in Europe, there's there's been a real move, especially in the UK, they've really embraced... Like billionaire owners, you know the Saudis and mm. yeah, you know, these guys have gotten in. Bunch of Americans own Premier League teams now, and they're all just loaded, uh, and they're just spending money like crazy. But in in addition to that, um, the new UK or the new Premier League TV rights have come in, and they're just Bonkers. printing money. Like it's just absurd how much money TV companies are paying for the rights to show. Isn't the there Premier a crisis League. in Europe? Not in football. But, uh, but what about the viewers? What about the, the spectators? What about the fans? Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, they were talking at the start of the season, I was listening to podcasts, and they were talking about price rises for tickets, you know, ticket price increases. And there were a couple of clubs that were sort of outliers, but the majority, I think from memory, hadn't increased prices all that much. It's all TV money. So maybe where it's coming in is you know your BT subscription or your... Whatever. Yeah, but who's paying for these subscriptions? ITV. Uh, the, the viewers. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're still paying. Yeah. But so it's where's just, this crisis? Well, what are they giving up? 
you know, so if you're uh, some bloke in northern England, uh, you're probably more willing to pay a little bit more for your TV subscription than you are turn to... Off, turn off the gas, turn put, a, <laughs> put a blanket on. That's it. Just the cheering and jumping up and down, that'll get you warm. Warm up the blood stream. Uh, yeah, so it's crazy. But there's also, you know, been concerns for a little while that the rest of Europe's just basically going to become a farm league and it's all about the Premier League. So yeah, wow. I don't know how this ends. I don't know how the other European leagues kind of answer this, whether Super League eventually comes into play because the other big teams throughout Europe just can't compete and Super League's the only way to make it happen. I don't know. But um, it was just kind of an eye-popping and are these, difference there. Do, do, do they, I don't know about much about buying um, sports teams, but is the whole... Oh, I do. Premise <laughs> of it, like you buy, you somehow manage to buy these great players and get your team just, you know, A-grade and then flog it off again? Like, what's the... No, so it's all about the prize money. So, you know, in, in the Champions League, so you've got your domestic leagues, like the Bundesliga in Germany, Serie A, Premier League. Uh, so the top teams go into the Champions League and the money there is enormous. Right. So for, depending on... So every win you get in the group stage, you get like three million euros i think for a win and then you progress to the knockout stage and the further you progress i mean you can make don't quote me here but i think like 60 million maybe more 80 million if you win it for the team for the team for, for that one year plus you've got your domestic money for winning and, and all the rest of it so the money's huge it's 100 million dollar plus business oh easily that's just prize money that's not you know tv money and gate money and advertising Products. and yep. yeah, all yeah, that gotcha. i mean it's huge 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 merchandise money. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the Premier League, it's by far and away the best league in the world and only getting better, I would say. Bonkers. Uh, all right, and last one, little quiz for you, mate. What is the biggest social media platform in the world? Do you know off the top of your head? TikTok. Not even close. Not even close. YouTube. Hold on. Sorry, mate. Uh, no, mate, I've got an idea. I don't know YouTube. why. Oh, YouTube. Oh, YouTube. Yeah. YouTube. Based on what users or based on users, but any metric you want to use. Really? Yeah, crazy. So here's a few numbers for you. Um, so in India, there are 325 million monthly active users. That's more than the entire US population, or pretty much. Just in India, mental. Uh, so 700 million. Here we go. So uh, in January of this year. People watch more than 700 million hours of YouTube. Like 700 million hours. I can't even comprehend yeah, that. And the last one I'll just throw it at you is uh, every minute of the day, 24 hours a day, there's over 500 hours of footage uploaded. Wow. Every single minute. We are contributing to that. Through the Wide Lens podcast, thank you, YouTube. Yes. Just like Google, don't you like Google just has the ability to be able to integrate these acquisitions? Oh, yeah. Like, I remember when Google bought YouTube and they were ridiculed for how much they paid. Yeah. <laughs> and now they earn in profit per quarter more what, than what they what's pay. What's that other one, that other video streaming platform like professional um, people use? Oh, I don't know. And it's... Ribs. <laughs> Ribs. No, it's <laughs> and it's just... Uh, I don't know. I've got to try and find it now. Bloody hell. This makes for great listening. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, it's... Yeah, anyway. Anyway, I so what it is. YouTube dominates. But uh, that, that was always seen as like, that is the 
Vimeo. Oh, yeah. Remember Vimeo? That was seen as like the premier video story, streaming. Yeah. And man, Vimeo is just slow and shit. Is it? Yeah, man. It's just, yeah, it's right. just clunky. Anyway, let's wrap up. What do you got? All right. What do you got uh, for, tips uh, and recommendations, mate. I'm kind of torn, but I'm going to go with, based on a comment you mentioned earlier. Um, so I've been watching uh, Hunted. Have you seen I've this show? I've heard about this. So I've been watching oh, the, we, the US talk, one. Oh, you, wasn't there an Aussie one? Yeah, yeah, there was an Aussie one. We were talking one. about that a little yeah. while ago. So basically the premise is a bunch of ordinary citizens. Uh, so Australia's a bit different. They kind of bust them all into Fed Square and just let them run off and then the hunters have got, I don't know, 15 minutes to start chasing them. Uh, but essentially you've basically got to hide and this team of world experts of you know, investigators, FBI, CIA and all the rest of it um, are trying to track you down. They can use any means that they seem fit. Is it Netflix? Uh, I think it's on. No, one of the normal, like nine, normal, ten. Oh, yeah. I think it's ten. Uh, anyway, so in the US, I'll focus on the US because uh, channel it's just a bit more dynamic. Uh, so in the US, they had so they've got all these people, and they had two young dudes, college dudes, fairly good-looking blokes, and their plan was, we're going to just land somewhere and try and not necessarily pick up chicks, but try and stay at various <laughs> females' houses. Because you can't trace it, right? So if you, if I've never met this woman before in my life and she allows me to sleep in her backyard, how are they going to catch me? <laughs> but the way they caught them was on uh, Tinder. They put out a wanted poster. Swipe oh. <laughs> left. Swipe left if you've seen us or right if you haven't and call us and we'll give you a monetary reward. <laughs> and so this, there was this two girls letting them sleep you know, under the porch in their house and the sister of one of the girls dobbed them, dobbed them in. And they had them within a couple of hours. Oh. Like they then got, you know, the license plate number of the car. They were watching the car. The license plate is picked up on every camera on the freeway. So they're tracking where the car is. They're tracking the cell phone number. And they just nailed them. It was crazy, crazy how quickly they can act on this stuff. So anyway, really, really interesting. Kind of fun to watch. Uh, I won't give it away whether anyone got away with the money or not. They win 250K, which is mm. not bad. They have to survive a month without being detected. But, yeah, you know, they're listening to phone calls, they're tracking people. The way they're able to f- build your network of contacts is, is incredible. Really interesting. It, it just almost goes to show, like, how you can't, like, you can't hide. So hard to hide. Yeah. And so they can use any means possible that they can use in real life. And they use it in real life. Yeah. Yeah, so they're getting, you know, uh, a list of... So they're like, oh, we've got a ping on this. You know, someone logged into their Facebook page. All right, let's track what the IP address of that. Where is that? All right, let's 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 look at what their other searches have been. Oh, we've got a ping on... What was your... Uh, what were you, you said if you can... Uh, if you were on the show, you would go to, like, your mates... One of your one of your mates' uh, properties that are under construction and just sleeping there <laughs> yeah, for it. like a month. Just stay there for a month and hide out. Like that's surely that's the best plan. That sounds so dumb. <laughs> I don't know. What do you do? Build a hole and I don't know. But it's really really interesting. Um, it's so fascinating. Like you sit here and you're like, oh, I could do that. You yeah. just do this and you withdraw your cash and. Jump in an Uber and run away. Like, but they're tracking you. Like they've got you every step of the way. You've got to just do the opposite 
to what you think you and should do. And is it all li- is it all live? Like someone's like following these people with a camera? Or yeah. Like- so I am a bit suspicious because they're like, oh, how the hell did they track these guys down? They've been hiding in the bush for four days, and all of a sudden they're in the right area. Like, mm. uh, but anyway. Uh, my well, in, in the Australian one, you cool. the first thing that comes up, he says, is Ten's hit show real or fake hunted? <laughs> oh, really? So who knows? Uh, but the Aussie one was all right, but yeah, the, I don't know, just the American one. They always um, seem to do it. We're back on YouTube. Dramatics. We're back on Netflix, by the way. Oh, you're back. Yes. <laughs> that didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you got, man? Just uh, something that I... Uh, have done we uh, we ever used to do it during the pandemic but just last weekend we we drove up because father's day last weekend oh yeah that's right and we drove up to uh up into the into the dandenongs yep and what was just really amazing um we're debit debit diamond in the car obviously and we're driving through and as soon as we kind of there's just this moment where you go from city to just not forest yeah and you know the temperature just drops, yep. and you start going up the windy road, and just the sunshine is sort of peering through the trees. And Deb and I, literally at the same time, just we're just like, oh, like wow, how good is this? Yeah. And I we'd just sort of forgotten how how lovely it was, and how relaxing it was, uh, and how calming it was, just to go back up into the Dandenongs, just through Alinda through Callista, through just up in that area. So if you haven't done anything like that since COVID, just get back out again. Like it's just, yeah, it was just really lovely, cold weather. It was just really nice. And coming to springtime, I think we are in spring now. I think the weather would just be perfect for just heading up, heading up that way. Barbecues and parks and just bushwalking and stuff. So um, get out of yeah, nice in front of YouTube and the TV. And Netflix and After you finish hunted, watching this episode Get in the car And just head out man it's just, It was so good There's a place That's probably worth going um, it, you, We've been there The uh, Callista Tea House Oh um, yeah 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 um, They've got a lot of You know Is that where that was? Yeah that's up in Callista Yeah, yeah right um, So we, we stopped there And that, that was quite Quite good The Dirty Chai was nice But not as nice as Electra On Fitzroy Street in Brunswick Or Brunswick Street in Fitzroy um, So We own that business or something. Hey no man, Hard it's just bloody good. Two shoutouts. Um, that's it from me. Anything else you want to touch on? Or no, we're, mate, we're good. I'm all good. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers. My name's Robert Baharian, and I'm the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management, AFSL 526-798. The information contained in this podcast by me, my colleague, Matt Rigby, or any of our guests may include general advice and does not consider your personal circumstances. You should seek personal advice from a registered financial advisor who can consider whether the general advice is right for you.